Welcome to the Les Spellman Podcast, where we redefine how athletes develop speed by giving them the tools to play faster. So what I was thinking, like, number one, like, this is, I've always dreamed of doing this with you. Um, I don't know if you remember, but like five or six years ago, maybe, I couldn't afford the apprentice coach program. And um, I emailed one of your staff and they were like, yeah, if you just stand on the fence, like all the way on the other side and you could just watch. So I drove out, I drove out from California to Arizona and I just like stood on the fence with a notebook and just watched everything. And it was like eye opening for me. Um, and that, in that time, like I, you know, I probably wasn't making more than $10 a week coaching. <laughs> like it wasn't anything, but I just like, didn't you walk up and tell me, I don't let you <laughs> I feel like I did towards the end. Like I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go up because you were you were going over rudiment, yeah. And I wanted to see it. I couldn't see from where like the angle that I was at. So I just I went up there and um I started to listen and I was writing it down. But I mean that one experience like shifted my my whole life as a coach. It made me realize like this is something I wanted to really do. Uh, I, at the time I was finishing up playing. I had like a really average rugby career. And I was just kind of like bouncing around the development side, but I was never going to make the top side. Yeah. And I was trying to decide if I wanted to coach, but when I saw you coach, I'm like, man, like that's the passion that I, that I want to have when I'm coaching. Like that's the type of communication. That's the type of concise conciseness I want to have, even though there's like this mountain of knowledge it, when it comes out, it's two things. Um, and that's what I was really attracted to. And that's kind of led me down the rabbit hole. Just, you know, after, after that, I went to Jonas, I had, um, a thousand dollars in my bank account. It took me 800 to fly to England. Um, and then I had 200 to get a hotel transportation to Jonas and somehow bought an extra genie. And like, I was just like bouncing around, but I got to Jonas, learned a lot from Jonas. Um, and then, you know, through Stu, I learned a ton. So I just this has always been a dream of mine to like talk to you directly. Uh, well, well I, I any, anytime is reach out. All right. Well, I, I really only had like, I mean, I, I have like a hundred questions, but when it came down to it, like it, I didn't want it to be like a podcast or anything. I, I kind of wanted to just be like conversation and ask the questions that I really um, wanted to know. Like, I mean, truthfully, these are, these are just like, I wonder what Dan would say. But so now, like, I mean, the industry now seems to be a, like there, there wasn't like a speed coach role probably back when, when you were there outside of track and field, like now there's, there's actual like private coaches that are doing speed and, and um, and to be honest, there, there wasn't even a profession of uh, S and C back then. Oh yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So like I had an interest in it. So my first high school coaching job, I was the strength coach just because I, I knew something about it. <laughs> There's no prerequisite. And uh, when the NSCA started, uh, because of my work in coaching education, I was asked to write some articles and serve on some panels. So I was there when that organization was, you know, in its infancy, just begging people to be involved. Mm. Interesting. So, you know, I've seen quite an evolution in the, uh, the evolution of a movement coach or a skills coach or a running coach, I would say, you know, maybe 10 years old, if that. Yeah, yeah, and that's amazing. And, and how do you feel like the industry is now in terms of, because there's, you know, everyone is an expert 
almost and it's kind of hard to sort through like how do you view you know the way the industry is going do you think it's in a positive direction because more people are entering the industry or do you feel like it's becoming saturated because of that well i mean there's always a saturation point i i, I guess my concern is the tribalism and the um sex sells and permeation of the industry you know there's a lot of garbage out there a lot of myths and you know, a lot of people just not really understanding the essentials fundamentals or what to teach or how to teach or how to communicate or how to work on a team like one of the problems in high performance I, I, and this is my bias i think it has to be a horizontal structure can't be top down or siloed and if you're going to work in a horizontal structure that means all parties have an equal chair at the table so to speak and they communicate and they're they're transparent and they're accountable and they know how to work in a team so if you're a speed coach or an s and c coach and you don't understand the demands of the sport or what that athlete's doing in practice with sport-specific stuff and how that taxes certain biological factors of the body and whatnot, you're fighting with one arm tied behind your back. So, you know, I see speed coaches, uh, you know, drifting into ice hockey, for example, and, you know, they've never been on skates. They've never played hockey. You know, I have. I grew up in Ohio. And, you know, they haven't read the literature that's already out there in biomechanics and data collection and hockey. And, you know, they're coming up with, you know, dry land training for hockey players. And, you know, it may have some relevance, but it's not the relevance they're placing upon it. And they're actually doing more harm than good, in my opinion. So I think there's an educational gap there, first of all. And then second of all, I think there's a huge gap on, and this is my complaint with anybody in the performance spectrum, do you know how to work in a horizontal integrated high performance team? Yeah, yeah. So like in the NFL, now, you know, everybody complains, you know, if you're a staff S&C member, hey, we, I only get about two weeks out of the year to influence these guys. The rest of the year, it's management and recovery and rehab and whatnot. And they complain, well, the guys are away. I don't know what they're doing or whatnot. Well, get involved. You know, research, find out where there's good places in these various metropolitan areas. Encourage your guys, if you're going to go home and work in the summer, here are a couple places that we communicate with, that we trust their system. You know, this is all part of learning to work in a horizontal action. Yeah. That, that's amazing, which takes a ton of humil humility to even do. Um, well, I, I think a lot of times, you know, I don't want to be condescending or judgmental here, but people don't work in integrated teams because they're afraid to be caught out. Makes sense. How does it, um, for, let's say like in the NFL, for example, like how, how would it, how does structure work in terms of periodizing speed and getting speed to be integrated into, into team settings? Like, like, I mean, that's, I've never worked in the NFL. I've only done off season and things like that. So it's always been a mystery to guys like me. It's like, how would you integrate it? 
considering their schedule and all that? Well, I, I think the first thing you have to do is step back and, and do an ergonomic analysis of what's happening when they're at OTCs or rookie camp or preseason camp or during the season. And it differs during the season. You know, what you can do uh, the first six games versus the middle six games versus the end of the season or playoffs it is night and day. Like I said, in most pro sports, whether it's NFL, NHL, NBA, or whatever, in season, it's really a management paradigm. It's not a development paradigm. You're, you're trying to manage energy and recovery and workloads and minor injuries and chronic injuries and sometimes acute injuries. You're reacting to the competition schedule and the coach's schedule during, you know, the days that you do practice. So I think it's important to figure out density patterns when you can try to plug some things in. And when you do plug in, it's with the mindset, I'm going to microdose and nudge. Whoa. So... Like, if I've got a wide receiver and it's Wednesday and they're working their long passing game or two-minute drill, this guy's already done 800 excels and long sprints. You don't? Yeah. He's done. Yeah. And that may be enough for the whole week because you combine it Wednesday with the game on Sunday. That may be overtraining. So your job may be maximize recovery techniques. Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, a lot of SNC people are married to three days a week in the weight room or four days a week, you know, two upper, two lower, so on and so forth. That goes out the window in these kind of leagues. Right. But most of these guys, most of the veterans lift maybe twice a week. And one's a tread water day where they do the key lifts, but it's 80 to 90%. They're just ticking over biochemistry and, and neurologics. And then they'll find another day of the week where they got some time after it where they might push the window on a few key lifts. Right. And that would be dictated by their health, their position. So interior lineman, his push lift might be the bench press. Yeah. Where for a cornerback, you know, his his key lift might be single leg deadlifts or something, you know. Yeah. So this is what I mean about studying the ergonomics. What What is this guy's task, time of year, his age, things he's battling? So like with COVID, there's been a lot of time test and retest and going to remote meetings and whatnot. So there's a couple hours a day added in with protocol that weren't there in the past. Well, you got to account for that. Makes sense. You know, I've got guys that haven't seen their family since July. Right. Yeah. I've got to account for that. That's that's gonna influence motivation and arousal and recovery. You know, everything you do is gonna be influenced by that life one oh one stressor. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. So true. Yeah, I mean we're experiencing that now, like you know, I got a batch of rookies that are like, Man, this is this is rough. Like what what am I supposed to do? And it's a, it's a difficult position for me because sometimes as coaches, like you want to have the answers. And a lot of times I've been like, I don't know, I got, it, it's been tough to say, but it's been really hard for those guys adapting. And then, you know, now they're scaling back like Mon you know, Monday's a, a day off essentially. 
um, you know, they're not in the facility until Tuesday or so. Like it's been, it's been tough for a lot of those guys to adjust as rookies, but, um, well, we do, we, we do things like we look at their GPS data and, you know, do, how many runs do you have above a certain threshold? How far did you run at that threshold to see if practice is actually giving us enough stimulus? If we're short on stimulus, I, I microdose at the end of warm-up. So I got running backs that'll do three to five really hard 30s at the end of their warm-up on selected days to microdose that or you know a lot of times i'll have them film i like to film from head on side and behind and we use it as a movement screen so they not only get a microdose hit on excel but i also get a high speed movement screen love it so this is that management piece that i'm talking about where can you microdose and nudge and the density pattern where do you put that in to do no harm or do less harm yeah do you, do you think oh, we, there's Sorry, go ahead. We've got a team where uh, they've just been ravaged with injuries and COVID and whatnot. So on special teams, they're going reduced speed and reduced number. Well, five or six of the guys on the team, that's all they do is special teams. So they're not getting the practice hit they normally would. So now they're getting hamstring injuries because they're not getting vaccinated during the week. Right for those high-speed runs. That makes sense. Makes sense. Do you feel like there's a resisted run play within that as well? Like a way to get an acceleration stimulus, uh, a maximal run without exposing them to higher velocities? Well, you can, but, you know, I always refer back to the force velocity curve. And when you put resistance on there, you're going to shift where you're at on that curve. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a needs basis. If I got a guy that's a, his virus is spinning or he struggles with speed strength or power expression, then I might microdose some resistant runs at the end of warmups. You know, I, I think a default mistake a lot of people is, is they try to, to microdose or nudge at the end of practice. These guys are already tired. Oh. That, that That's not my preferred moment to nudge things. It's, it's early in the workout on a key day. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. Um, okay, so I had I had questions about I kind of kept it general, but just different zones. Like um a hot topic is early acceleration. Um, what are some of the physical attributes you're looking for in, in early acceleration and some of the technical um so some of the ways you build out build out that structure for an athlete? Well, I'm kind of old school, and I'll, I'll default to the essentials. Like, we know through research on all kinds of sports, genders, stages of development, stages of career, that there's some big rocks and good accelerators. Each step gets longer, and each step gets quicker. Mm -hmm. There's a unique harmony. Yeah. Now, the rate of that change is sport-specific or position-specific. Mm -hmm. So a linebacker who takes five steps and tackles the guy, that rate of acceleration would be greater than a wide receiver running a long fly pattern. Right, right. Uh, contact times lessen each step, and flight times increase each step. Mm -hmm. And the attack angle theoretically changes each step. 
<clears throat> because you have less time to apply force each step because you're going faster. So those are the five balls or the grid that I'm always looking for. Is each strike getting longer and quicker in a nice harmony? Is the rate of change appropriate for their sport or position? Yeah. Is that attack angle changing each step? Is flight time increasing? Is contact time lessening? Now there's variations and there's bandwidths to these things. Yeah. And some of them are start posture specific. So am I a wide receiver upright? Am I in a three point? Am I a four point? How soon is my collision going to occur? Yeah. So if I'm a nose guard, I'm probably not going to change my attack angle. Right, right. But those first three steps before I engage the guard, you you would hope to see each step getting a little longer and a little quicker. Yeah, yeah. So the heuristics are the heuristics. Yeah, so they have a higher velocity before collision. Yeah, I love it. Um, a community about early acceleration, but what are some KPIs for late acceleration? Because it seems to be a little bit more of a, um, a skill to, to have a good late acceleration and be able to transition through velocity. Uh, what are some things that you, you've coached through the years and seen with athletes? Yeah, well, um, the, the term transition is kind of an ambiguous term, and it's debated, and it's like, where do you sit in what tribal camp and what? Like, well, like Stu has a saying, you know, the entire race at 100 meters is transition. You're transitioning from step to step. Exactly. I mean, classically in the literature, especially European literature, transition is a zone where the athlete when the acceleration numbers start stagnating, if you will, mm -hmm. until the athlete hits top upright speed, that zone is what they call the transition zone. So my comment is, if we use that definition, I think we got to look at the kinematics in, in, the, in the kinetics, you know, in that zone. Yeah. So, so some guys will accelerate and, and hit, start hitting some constant numbers at step six or eight. Yeah. An experienced track guy or wide receiver, if you're telling him he's going longer, they won't hit that till step 12. Right, right, right. So it's kind of sport specific or skill development or bias in their training or bias on how they look at the run. So... Like we know, if we tell a wide receiver we're doing a 20-meter test or 20-yard test and a 40, it's two different sets of data. Yeah, yeah, they're going to run completely different. They're going to run completely different. It's like when uh, I made that mistake with combine training where, like, in the beginning I had guys, like, racing to 10, and, like, they were getting – they eventually got, like, some fast times. This is probably, like, 2016, and then, uh, and then we – we push it out to 20 and their 20s all got like they were terrible because they were just spinning take seven eight steps in that 10. so yeah context for sure that makes a lot well that that's what i was referring to on your spreadsheet page so it's a it's a valid snapshot of what's happening for that test yeah yeah well one thing we're doing is we're um we're not testing anymore so we're collecting this data in uh in training so yeah. we're doing like um 
a warm up, and then they're doing a couple of tens or twenties or thirties. And then some of the data is come actually coming from practice data. So some of the data is like we take the peak acceleration um, and the peak velocity run, the one that had the best combination, and then we'll profile it. So we're seeing um, we're seeing how much power they're producing like over time. So and what we'll do is collect two weeks of data and say, okay, within this two week period, like here's kind of the norm, like here's what we see with this athlete and then work backwards from a physical standpoint. Um, and then, you know, the kinematic side, like looking at, is there some, is there something going on on this, this front that's influencing how much power this athlete can produce or can't produce? Um, yeah. it's just something I've been um, playing around with. And No, I, I think that's all valuable. And, you know, I think, I think you got to look at these different sections too, but you know, everybody's caught up in power the first 10 meters, but what's your power output at 40? Right, right, right. Yep. That's huge. It's huge. Um, I had one other question on that. So, um, from, from max velocity. So like how much, the biggest thing is like a lot of teams say like, oh, we don't want to do max velocity. Like how important is max velocity training to team sport athletes? And, and like, what are some ways you can, you can train it without, you know, exposing them to any risks? Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer that you got to vaccinate people for what they're about to encounter. So if you do all your runs at 80 to 90, and then in a game five or six times, they have to get up above 90, are they tolerant? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. So for some kids, they may get it in practice, but... Like, there's a safety for Carolina that I've been helping with return to play. And he's never been above 18.5 in practice the whole season. But in the game, consistently, he'll have eight or nine plays where he's in the high 20s. Right. Right. And he keeps getting hamstring niggles. The, the gap's too big there. Mm. Makes sense. Now, I've got a running back who is hitting 20 probably 10 to 15 times during the practice week. And that's what he hits in the game, so he, he's prepared for it. Right, right. Makes sense. So there's a couple of ways. So, like, what I tell some of my skill guys is on Wednesday while you're fresh, early in the practice, run out three or four of your plays. Run it out to 40 yards or 50 yards. Mm -hmm. Get that hit. Get that vaccination. Some teams, they have what they call fast Friday, where they, they really go hard and fast, but it's real short, condensed. That's another window where they could get, where you could microdose some speed runs. Right, right. Now, I personally, unless they're on drugs, I think most guys can only handle six to eight speed runs in the off-season in a session. Mm, okay. And at six to eight, like hitting their, their close to their peak velocity? Yeah. And things I use to judge that are the kinematics. You know, are they in their safe bandwidth kinematically? Yeah. What does the metric output say? And, you know, even at that, these are pretty long rests, which football guys, basketball guys, 
field hockey girls, they don't like to use long rest. But, you know, I'm always on them. We need this rest in order to sustain the mechanics and to sustain the output numbers. If we go quicker than that, some, something's going to pay. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. So then with that idea, and we've tested this out in numerous sports, we feel that uh, three to five efforts at least twice a week with a once-a-week game format to be this the basement level of backseat. Right. Love it. So with your your greyhound guys, they don't they just need a touch up. So they could probably get by with th- three speed runs, maybe once a week or twice a week. Yeah. But your hybrids, the guys that are kind of powerful in musculature, we find they need more of the ceiling, kind of like five runs twice a week. Yeah. To, to, to vaccinate them, and this has been done with the epidemiological data. So we look at how many runs did they get in our zone. And then how did that affect injury output or chronicity of injury? Yeah, makes sense. And is there is there a uh, a distance they're giving, or is it more so just like reach your, reach your peak velocity? Well, that's a good question. I and this is why I'm big on knowing your people's averages. So what when you're doing speed workouts in the off season, what is their high velocity speed average? To me, that's kind of the threshold yeah. bar you want to try to touch yeah. in those microdoses. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I got one last question. I know you got to go. My baby just got back too. Um, if you if you had a group like, I mean, NFL Combine is kind of like my it's my fun time where I get to like test things out and really prove things. Um, if you had a group of guys for the NFL Combine now. Like, how would you approach that eight-week period? It's such a short window. Um, how would you approach it? Well, that's a great question. The first trap I see people getting into is they coach to the combine. Mm, yeah. Well, what you do at the combine or a simulated combine and what you do on pro day are two different things. Mm-hmm. And then what, if you make it as a free agent or a late draft pick, what you do in OTAs and rookie camp is a different thing. Mm-hmm. So my first step back is, does this guy have a shot? Yes. Okay. I've got to prep him for the combine, for pro day, and OTA. I've got to, I've got to juggle those three balls. Yep. So I can't get too biased so I may have I may have days of the week that are more combine driven, days of the week that are more OTA driven, days of the week that might be more player pro day driven. So I'll give you an example. I had a wide receiver, Texas AM, who was free agent level. <laughs> Caught passes for a first round quarterback, ran probably 30 routes couple of the scouts liked what they saw, asked him to run some more routes with another quarter. The guy <clears throat> ran 62 routes that day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And luckily he was an endurance hound, and we'd kind of prepped. We kind of figured this might happen. 
and he ended up getting drafted in the seventh round, and he's now year five in the league. But if he hadn't been prepared for that pro day, he would have never got the look. Yeah, no, and that's um, so funny saying that because my first combine group, I, I treated it like it was the Olympics. Like it was just a track meet, and that was it. And, I, and the guys did really well, ran fast, got to rookie minicamp, and they they called me. They're like, I'm tired. <laughs> we did one day, and I'm tired. And um, that's something we've been trying to incorporate is just get them ready, like long-term. And even like really looking at every time I get a guy now, it's like through your first contract, here's the, here's the map, you know, here's your windows, here's your map, here's what we're doing year to year. We're starting with this phase of development and then growing to this phase. And then when they come to year three, now we're adding on layers to that. Um, and that's super helpful. From a, uh, from a volume standpoint, like would you, would you do two speed days, three speed days? Like what kind of, what kind of format would you do? Yeah, I mean, generally, I'm a big believer in combine to do, you know, two pretty good solid acceleration days and and one speed day if possible. Yeah, yeah. And that may be a hybrid. Like I may do a uh, Excel speed hybrid. You know, if I'm really jammed in the week. Yeah. And some of it, some of it's analyzing the tests. It's like if this guy's a bad jumper or a bad change in direction guy, I've got to have more of those hits in the week. So I may have to compromise some stuff. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Like with with McCaffrey, you know, we knew he wasn't going to be a big bench presser. And so we just got where he could do 12, and, and we lived with that because we knew his other tennis were going to blow that away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure, which he did. Yeah, and like, I, I mean, I remember reading Stu's work in the beginning where he was doing um, a medium day before the hard day to start the week. And I was trying, it, it, it was just hard in terms of priority for combine. Like, what did you, did, I know you and Stu kind of have two different formats in terms of how you look at it from that standpoint. Like, Stu's had the medium and then potentiation day. Like, would it have you gone to that format or are you still doing like acceleration? You know, okay, yeah, yeah, no, makes sense. And, and, and I just think that there's a specificity of their position or their needs. Yeah. So I've I've had guys where I've done three Excel workouts because they were so raw and so inconsistent that, you know, if they did if they couldn't excel consistently, all their tests were gonna be off. Right. <laughs> right. The jumping test. Yeah. Yeah. So I did three days a week Excel. I made the middle one an Excel speed hybrid so that we vaccinated it and worked on issues there. Yeah. But that was the driver was we got to get this Excel nail. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Well, my daughter's waking up now. Um, I really appreciate your time. Well, this is, I mean, this is a dream come true. This is awesome. Well, well let's you. do it again. Thank you for listening to the Less Following Podcast. If you could do me two massive favors. First, please rate the podcast and give it five stars if you enjoyed. If you didn't enjoy it, please still give me five stars. <laughs> Second, please share this podcast with another coach, an athlete, or a parent who wants to learn how speed is developed. Thanks again for listening and check out the podcast description to learn more.